Welcome to the Upgrade Your Education Business podcast. I'm your host, Samantha. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope that you find this episode useful. If you're new to this podcast, each week I share fluff-free, actionable ideas tailored to education businesses that you can mould to suit your needs. And finally, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a review on iTunes or follow and subscribe on whichever platform you choose. Thank you once again for tuning in. I saw this wonderful post on social media that suggested that one of the ways to navigate hiring staff into your business is to create a to-not-do list, essentially listing all the tasks in your business that you don't want to do. Perhaps it isn't aligned with how you want to work, or maybe it's not the most valuable thing you could be doing. And in case you want to explore that further, the concept comes from The Bind Way by Max Hoppy. I thought this was a great starting point because it means you can be really strategic about how you integrate and use staff in your business, which inevitably produces great results. But if you're in a position like where I was, where you're thinking, but how do I hand X, Y and Z over to someone when it needs me? Because let's say I'm the subject specialist. I'm going to tell you how I mitigated that. In fact, this episode is going to be entirely based on my experience so far. I'll share what I do, what I've learned and the mistakes I've made. So without further ado, here's what I'm going to cover in today's episode. I'll start with the process you can try to help you decide who to hire and what tasks to delegate. Then I'll move on to the practical side, things like what to put in place so you can communicate efficiently and also so you can replace someone fast if they leave. The third thing is how I decided whether to hire an employee or a freelancer. And finally, I'll talk about how I have delegated tasks that rely on my subject matter expertise to someone who doesn't come from that background. So let's circle back to that concept of creating a to-not-do list. I have to admit that when I first hired someone, I did it because I was desperate to free up some time. I actually waited far too long because I was held back by my limiting mindset where I viewed it simply as an expense. And I just couldn't see what I could possibly delegate if someone didn't have the exact subject experience that I had. But it got to the point where I was forgetting to do things. Projects I wanted to launch were on hold, all because I didn't have any more time or energy. And therein lies my first mistake. And that is, don't wait until you're backed into a corner. Because hiring staff, especially for the first time, is hard work. And if you want it to work, it's something you need to dedicate time to. And waiting until you reach a point where you don't have any time is the worst. It's stressful and you don't end up doing it with a clear head, which affects how you do it. I was pretty much building the plane as it was flying. I set up things like communication channels and manuals on the go because I didn't have time and I just needed to hand things over so that I could get some of that time back. Also, to really get the best out of a team, you need to make sure they're supported. Sure, as you grow, you might put managers in place, but for a long while before this, you are that sole source of support. So again, when you're hiring, It's important to have the time to keep in touch with them, check in frequently and to just generally support them. No one is going to be as passionate as you are about your business, but people will want to be part of your journey if you help them develop and grow. So taking this future proofing approach is great. 
if I could go back in time, I would have tuned into the fact that I knew I needed someone to help me grow my business rather than waiting until I was desperate. And I would have put things like shared task management and communication tools in place nice and early. And I would have done it in a scalable way. So if I grew my team, it would be easy. I said I'd share a process you can try to help you decide who to hire and what tasks to delegate. So here it is. I started by listing everything I do in and on my business. Everything, even replying to emails. I then highlighted the jobs that I absolutely had to do. Not wanted to do, but had to do. They needed me. Then I reviewed what I'd highlighted to decide whether those tools were income generating and or valuable to me. For instance, for my tuition business, I highlighted that I needed to create social media content because they were related to my subject. But then when I reviewed it, I realized that my time is better placed in working and liaising with clients and potential clients, not complete strangers. And so I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I knew it was something I wanted to hand over. And remember, at the end of this episode, I'll be talking about how I handed work over to a non-subject specialist. However, for Upgrade Your Education business, I decided that content creation for social media was a valuable thing for me to do because I tend to have a lot more conversations with people through it. And I wanted that to come from me. So after I reviewed the things that I decided I needed to do, I looked at the non-highlighted part of my list. Now, the first thing this exercise made me realize was how there were a few jobs that could be automated. So I did just that, and those tasks were simply removed from my list. If you want any help with streamlining and automation, take a listen to episode six. So now I was left with a list of things that I didn't need to do, that weren't valuable for me and couldn't be automated. And that gave me a steer on who I needed to hire and roughly how many hours they needed to be able to work. Now, at this stage, I didn't really have the budget to hire someone full time. So I filtered the tasks that were must haves and shelved the rest temporarily. And this essentially gave me my job description. I knew what kind of person I needed to hire and what skills or learning capability they needed. At this stage, I landed on my feet. I managed to connect with people who I'd met through discovery calls and were recommended to me. But if that hadn't happened, here's how I probably would have approached looking for someone. For my virtual assistant position, I would have started by looking on social media. Remember, if you use that process or something similar, you'll know exactly who to search for. I would have gone on their websites to find out more and I would have found out their charges. When I made my first hire, I really didn't know what to expect to pay. And I was fortunate that my VA was flexible with how many hours I had to commit to. And as I felt and realized the value of what she brought to the table, my budget naturally increased. But back then, I would have looked at their hourly fee and decided whether or not I could afford them. And with that comes another lesson learned. When you hire someone, it's easy to think of them as an expense, but it's important to reframe that because team members shouldn't be at an expense or people who just help you be less busy. They should be income generators. And here's what I mean. For my tuition business, I have a course that I want to launch. So I have an English specialist working on that for me. I review everything before signing it off, but the bulky creation time is taken out of my hands. 
So that's an example of where my team member is working on something that will directly generate income. But my VA takes care of other tasks for me. Where needed, I also review and sign off, but she isn't working on something that will directly generate income. Instead, she's freeing me up to work on the things that will. So in both cases, yes, they cost me money, but they're an investment, not an expense. But that doesn't change the fact that we do have a budget to stick to. So with that investment approach in mind, when I look at what people charge by the hour, my decision is driven by how good they are, not their fee. And I simply commit to the number of hours that works within my budget. Going back to that list of tasks that I talked about, I keep it up to date because it helps me shuffle tasks around as my business develops and informs me whether I need to increase the hours of my team members or hire an additional person. Now for number two, the practical side. I'm not going to talk about contracts because I'm not a HR specialist, but do have contracts in place. What I will mention, though, is to have an NDA ready. That is a non-disclosure agreement. This is important because you don't want to feel afraid that team members might steal your ideas or share the inner workings of your business. And although an NDA protects you to a point, of course, the best way to really mitigate that risk is to hire people you trust. And as I mentioned earlier, you need to dedicate time to that so that you're not hiring someone too fast or out of desperation. You also want to be in a position where you can easily replace someone if they leave, because of course it happens and you don't want to have yourself so reliant on that person that it causes a big problem. The way I tackle this is in two ways. My first way is to create a manual for every single task they do. We have shared files and the whole process is documented. This means that you have a ready-to-go resource that simplifies how you complete a task in a way that almost anyone can follow. And that led me to my second thing. It made me realize just how many things I could streamline, because when you start creating step-by-step guides, your processes have to be clean. So now I try and make all processes really efficient and easy, and I document them. It's also really useful to have shared task management and communication resources in place. At the moment, I use Microsoft Teams for all communication, which is great because when my team members work on joint projects, we can create those joint channels. It integrates well with Trello, which I use to store manuals and other important information. You can use it for task management too. We also have a shared calendar and all of these things don't cost me any money. However, as you know, I like to future-proof, so before I set them up, I did look at how much they would cost me if my team grew, and I have a backup plan if we outgrow the way we are working now. I also put together a quick onboarding manual. Think of it as similar to an employee handbook. That way, they feel supported from day one, and it allows me to easily put processes like monthly catch-ups in place. The third thing I said I'd talk about was how I decided whether to hire a freelancer or employ someone on a permanent contract. My first hire was on a freelance basis because I felt a safety in knowing that we could adapt things like working hours and I wasn't tied in if my budget changed. But the downside to that is that a freelancer is likely to have other clients too which means that you're at the mercy of their availability, which may not always work with the kind of work you need them to do. 
So when I made my second hire, I considered going down the employment route. It didn't need to cost me much more, but at least there was more stability and a greater commitment of time. But I changed my mind and we went for the freelancer route because I had a single project that I wanted them to work on. And because I've created manuals and a streamlined process, as sad as it would be if any of my team members left, I knew I'd able to onboard someone else relatively fast. So there are pros and cons to hiring a freelancer versus an employee. And these pros and cons are for both parties. But in my opinion, hiring a freelancer is a good way of dipping your toe in the water. And when you feel more confident, you can hire based on the work you want them to be involved in. If you want, say, someone involved in a single project, then perhaps the permanent contract route isn't the best option. But if it's ongoing work, then it can be. And of course, that task list that I mentioned earlier is a great tool to help you make that decision. Now for the big one, or at least it was a big challenge for me. How do you delegate tasks when you feel like they need you to do them? The best way I can explain is by sharing some examples of what I do. I'm an English tutor and the content I post is very specific, not only to my subject, but to things like exam boards and specific year groups. So before I delegated this task, I put together a whole load of example resources on Pinterest and I labelled all my boards. In my manual, I created a schedule and content prompts that referred to these boards. So now my VA simply goes on Canva and uses those posts, examples and past content that I've published for inspiration and creates the content. I review it, sometimes tweak it, and she lines them up to be published. I spend no more than five minutes every fortnight reviewing the content. So that's just one example to give you an idea. But the point here is that there are many things you can guide your team members to write in your voice or to complete tasks the way you would if you just break it down. And by taking this approach, I surprised myself with just how much I can delegate that I previously thought I couldn't. At the beginning, I found the idea of hiring staff pretty scary. It felt like a big commitment, but as I've shared, it doesn't have to be. And also, whenever you do anything in your business for the first time, it can be scary. I remember feeling that way when I started spending money on automation. But business growth is a cycle. To grow, you have to spend time or money. If you spend time, your growth might be slower. If you spend money on the right things, your growth absolutely will be faster. You just need to choose the speed that works for you. Mm-hmm.